Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. My name is Phil Harland, a professor at York University in Toronto, and we're continuing on in the series Paul and His Communities. Today we turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians, to the Christians living in this region, Galatia, in Asia Minor. And in particular today, we will focus on the question of what was the situation that led Paul to write his letter. We have evidence within Paul's letter to the Galatians of what happened before Paul wrote. Paul first was in Galatia and had founded a group of Jesus followers among Gentiles there. These Gentiles had adopted worship of the Judean God and belief in Paul's overall message that this Judean God had a son who was coming. However, since Paul left Galatia, we will see, other Judean leaders of the Jesus movement had passed through Galatia and discovered these uncircumcised Gentiles belonging to a Judean movement, to the Judean Jesus movement. They advocated something different than what Paul did. Paul characterizes it as another gospel. But we need to, in this lecture, consider the rationale of the opponents themselves and place their advocation of circumcision within the context of Judean practice in the first century. So the main focus of today is on these opponents of Paul. However, we need to touch on a variety of other issues in order to understand the situation at Galatia and also to understand Paul's letter to the Galatians generally. And so today we begin by looking at Galatia as a region and consider the cultural background of the populations that are settled in Galatia in Asia Minor. We also consider the makeup of the followers of Jesus that Paul is addressing, namely Gentiles. We also need to touch on something that is raised in Paul's letter to the Galatians that has less to do with the situation at Galatia and more to do with a very important issue in Paul's overall mission, namely the collection of money for the poor in Jerusalem. Early on, it seems, Paul made an agreement with the leaders of the Jesus movement in Jerusalem that part of his mission would include raising money among the Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean world he was encountering, raising money that would be brought back to Jerusalem and would help to support the poor among the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. This for Paul was a critical issue that is not a side issue. It was critical for him because it had everything to do with Paul's relationship with the leadership of the Jerusalem Jesus movement and had everything to do with the perception of legitimacy that Paul wanted for his overall mission to the Gentiles. We'll also have to touch on previous perceptions of the letter to the Galatians that have been heavily influenced by the interpretations of Martin Luther in the 1500s one of the founders of what became ultimately Protestantism. And Martin Luther's interpretation of the letter to the Galatians has heavily influenced some scholarship in this area. And so we need to discuss it briefly when we get into the opponents and when we get into assessing what they're advocating. We need to at least dispel a 16th century interpretation of the letter to the Galatians in order to understand Paul's letter in its first century setting. So today we move on to look at the Christians at Galatia. 
There's a couple things I hope you get out of the lecture as a whole. And one is that by looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians, we get an important glimpse into the fact that one of the central issues for Paul in all of his activity is the inclusion of the Gentiles. This focus on including Gentiles is not necessarily the norm in early Christianity. In fact, it's precisely on the mode by which he wants to include Gentiles that Paul comes into conflict with other leaders within the Jesus movement. It's not necessarily that the people who oppose Paul don't want the Gentiles. That's not necessarily what's going on. It's just a matter of how he wants to include them and the degree to which, for Paul, that is the main thing he's doing, including Gentiles in a Judean movement. So that's one thing I hope you get out of today. The other thing that we're going to get out of it, we will get a glimpse into some other perspectives within the Jesus movement. Some other perspectives from other leaders who have a different idea of what it would mean to join this Judean movement that's gradually making its way into the Gentile world, out into the cities of the Greco-Roman world. And so by looking at the opponents of Paul, and by even looking at the Galatians who are following the opponents of Paul, we can get important glimpses into other perspectives within early Christianity especially on this issue of the Torah, the law, and how it applies to Gentiles, how it applies to non-Judeans who are now beginning to be involved in joining this Judean movement. So that's the main gist of what we hope, hopefully we'll get out of today's discussion. Let's begin by looking at the region like we usually do. Paul's letter is written to Galatia, and these Christians are in one of two places. What is known as Southern Galatia, or what is known as ethnic Galatia. But one thing to point out at the outset is that up till now, we've been seeing Paul write to communities of Jesus followers at specific cities, at Corinth, at Thessalonica. What's interesting about this case is he's addressing more than one city. He's addressing a region. But we're in Asia Minor still. We're in Turkey, Central Turkey, or Southern Turkey. As to the history of this region, in the 3rd century BCE, there were significant migrations of Celts from Europe down into Turkey, down into what is back then Asia Minor. The word Galatia itself comes from the word for Celt, shares the same root. So what you have as a result of that is a mixture of things going on there. You have Celts in this central part of Turkey. You have Greeks, obviously, because there's been Greek cities founded in that area long before the Celts migrate into the area. And you have the Roman influence. So you have a mixture of cultures here like you do everywhere, Greek and Roman. However, you have added into the mix the Celtic background that may or may not play a role in the ethnic background of the actual people being addressed by Paul. Let's take a look at the history of Paul's activity in Galatia itself. As I mentioned, there's two different theories that scholars of Paul's letter deal with, and that is whether or not the addressees are in northern Galatia up in the central part, or whether they're in southern Galatia. As to southern Galatia and Paul's relations with this area, we only have evidence from Acts regarding several cities. All of these cities here that are listed, Iconium, Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, and Derbe, that are discussed in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14 and Acts chapter 16, these are all cities in what would be considered southern Galatia. So Paul may be addressing these sorts of cities. Before dealing with the situation at Galatia specifically, we do need to at least mention and discuss briefly 
something that is raised in the first two chapters of Galatians. You may remember in our discussion of Paul's autobiographical information, we dealt with this somewhat, but a few more words are necessary here about the collection for Jerusalem and its significance for understanding Paul's overall mission to the Gentiles. When Paul describes the meeting in Jerusalem around 50 CE, one of the main outcomes of that meeting is that Paul needs to remember the poor in Jerusalem. That remembering the poor in Jerusalem is remembering them by collecting money for the poor and having money sent to Jerusalem. And so the collection that is mentioned in Galatians continues to be an important aspect of the relationship between Paul and Jerusalem. And Paul is very focused on that collection precisely because it allows him to alleviate tensions, he hopes, with the leadership in Jerusalem that seem to have a different tack on things than he does, precisely on the issue on how to include Gentiles within the Jesus movement. So when you look through subsequent letters of Paul after Galatians, you see that this issue of collection is still there. In 2 Corinthians, we have chapters 8 and 9 that are all about encouraging the Christians at Corinth to collect money together that can ultimately be brought to Jerusalem. You also have it mentioned in Romans, perhaps the last letter we have from Paul. We still have Paul very focused on this issue of collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem because of what it will do for the legitimacy of his entire mission to the Gentiles. He needs a more positive relations with Jerusalem, with the Jesus movement in Jerusalem. The first place we see the collection mentioned is in the letter to the Galatians. Separate that collection of money, though, in your own mind from the issue of Paul's support of his own activity financially. They're two different things. They're both economic. So economics are important for Paul for more than one reason. But separate the collection for Jerusalem, the collecting of money to send to the poor in Jerusalem, separate that in your mind from the question of how Paul supports his own activity. Let's move on to looking at the situation in Galatia. First of all, we do have indications of the ethnic identity of the followers of Jesus that are being written to here in Galatia. At several points in Paul's letter, it becomes clear that he is writing to Gentiles. There are no indications that Judeans are top on his list of addressees here. It may well be that there are Judeans among the people who would hear the letter read to them when it arrived. However, principal in Paul's mind are the Gentiles. And it's partly through looking at the situation we're going to unpack that it's going to become very clear to you that they are Gentiles. Because it's the issue of being circumcised that is at the top of Paul's mind throughout the whole letter. The issue of Gentiles being circumcised. You don't need to argue with Judeans about whether they should be circumcised or not. They are circumcised. If you're talking to adults and talking to them about being circumcised or not being circumcised, you're talking to Gentiles. And so that whole situation reveals to you that they're Gentiles. But quite explicitly, a couple times, he also refers to it in chapter 4, verse 8, for example. He says this to the recipients. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to, etc.? They've now adopted worshipping the Judean God, but formerly they were Gentiles. Let's get more fully into that uh, main issue, namely the issue of circumcision. The whole letter opens up with something we've glanced at before, but let's remind ourselves of it. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 you have basically the thesis statement that Paul is making that is the central point of his whole letter. And here you have revealed then the key problem he identifies that is going on among 
the followers of Jesus in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different message. Not that there is another message, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the message of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a message contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. A double curse on anyone who advocates a different message than Paul has. And that's precisely what's going on at Galatia. There are other leaders of the Jesus movement who have come through after Paul has been there. They're also followers of Jesus, probably followers of Jesus from Judea, or at least Judeans who have lived elsewhere and are following Jesus, who have passed through and have a different take on things on what it means to follow Jesus. Here Paul's calling it another gospel, sarcastically. But in essence, they have a different message. And what we have to figure out is what is the difference? That is the central point of all of Galatians, that difference. And there are indications throughout the rest of the letter what that other message entails. Let's take a look at one of the explicit references to the opponents. One thing to really remember, though, when we're talking about opponents, is that Paul is never talking directly to the opponents. He's not talking to try and convince the other Judeans who follow Jesus, who have come through and are teaching something. He's not trying to convince them to do something different. He's trying to convince the Galatians who are Gentiles, not to listen to these other leaders of the Jesus movement who have come through. Throughout the letter, there are explicit references to these opponents. For example, this passage I just read. The opponents, as he calls them, are troublemakers. That's what he labels them. Some who trouble you is how it is in my translation. And this language recurs again in reference to the opponents. Troublemakers. The troublemakers have a different gospel, as we have already seen, a different message than he has. And now we're trying to see what that different message is. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And he who is troubling you, troublemakers again, will bear his judgment, whoever he is. You then have an indication in the next verses here of the circumcision being central in the troublemaking. But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling blocks of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. Here's pretty brutal language. When talking about the opponents, we'll see who are advocating circumcision. He says he wishes that the opponents would slip with the knife and cut off their own private parts. And remember that there are other leaders of the Jesus movement that he's talking about here. It's an internal debate, and this is the sort of rhetoric and sort of tone that comes into it. Let's look at another passage here that will sort of solidify more of what's really going on here. The indication of that he wishes that the opponents would slice off their own penises obviously tells you that it's to do with circumcision. And that's what comes out very clearly in chapter 6, verses 11 and following. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Now we've got to take a lot of this with a grain of salt. 
he's accusing people of being hypocrites. That's neither here nor there in terms of information about the opponents. It just means that Paul doesn't like them. The fact that he says they don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't follow the law. But what's important for us to notice, and it will become clear with other evidence as well, the issue is that these other leaders of the Jesus movement have come through after Paul has been there, and they are saying, what? You Gentiles haven't been circumcised? You've missed something very important here. Take a look at the Torah. Take a look at what it means to be part of God's people here. They're saying, in order to belong to God's people, you need to be circumcised. Paul, we'll get to his response soon, has got a totally different take on it than what these other opponents have. What you could call this group is what Paul uses, a term Paul uses, not in reference directly to the opponents in Galatia, but in reference to Peter and James. Remember back in the first couple chapters? People came from James that influenced Peter and that they withdrew from eating with Gentiles. And in that context, Paul labels them the circumcision party. It seems that in Galatia, we're dealing once again with something Paul would label that same thing, even though he never again uses that label throughout the rest of Galatians. way of phrasing this that might help clarify to you what is going on here is there are debates about what is the entrance requirement for belonging to the Jesus movement. The reason I phrase it that way is because there's a long history of how to interpret Galatians, especially within Protestant circles, that goes way back to Luther, and I need to mention it so that you clear out of your mind, if you're familiar with Protestant ways of looking at Galatians, you need to somewhat clear this out of your mind in order to make historical sense of this letter in the first century. In medieval Christianity, there was this idea that in order to gain salvation, and in medieval Christianity, salvation was about going to heaven. So in order to go to heaven and avoid hell, these are terms that Paul does not use. These, these are terms of medieval Christianity that Luther was faced with, and he used Galatians to attack it. So in order to go to heaven and avoid hell, you needed to engage in good works. And there was this notion that your works were added up, and your failure to do good works were added up, and there was a balancing act at the end of your life that God would decide whether you go to hell or purgatory, waiting place to decide whether you end up in hell, or heaven. So those are medieval concepts we're talking about right now. Luther, Martin Luther, was a German priest who objected to that whole scenario of explaining what salvation is. And what he came up with was this idea of salvation by faith alone. He got the phrase from Paul, but it's a very different concept than what was going on in the first century. Luther thought of himself like Paul in Galatians and thought that Paul was in the same situation as him. The result of him using Galatians to attack his Catholic opponents is that ever since Luther, within Protestantism, Galatians has been interpreted through Lutheran eyes. Namely, the Judeans that, that Paul is attacking are talking about how do you go to heaven after you're dead. That is not the issue in first century Galatia. The issue is circumcision and entrance requirement. The issue is not how do you get to heaven. Very important distinction. There's a relation there, though. Well, everyone who's God's people gets saved. But the main issue is not salvation at all. The main issue is what is the entrance requirement to belong to the Jesus movement? And there are disagreements between Paul and these opponents on what the entrance requirement for Gentiles should be. When you read the words faith and works in Galatians, start clearing your mind of a notion of works like in medieval Christianity where you need to work, do, do works in order to gain salvation. Those are medieval notions not first century notions. We have to figure out what the notions in the first century are.
Let me say some more about the rationale of the opponents. I've already indicated it to you to some degree. The rationale of these opponents is, in fact, the standard within Judaism. The standard within Judean culture is that circumcision is the central symbol of following God's law and is the central physical way in which you demonstrate that you're part of God's people and is the main way in which you, as a follower of God, the God of the Judeans, indicate that you're part of the covenant God made with God's people. Remember that notion of God choosing a people and then he makes a covenant, an agreement with them. And the agreement God makes with his people is that his people need to follow the law as a sign of being part of the covenant. And within the Torah, you have the stories about circumcision. The story of Abraham being circumcised that's going to come up again, we'll see in our analysis of Paul's response. If you look in Genesis chapter 17, the way it expresses the story of Abraham being circumcised is precisely this, that it was a sign that Abraham was part of a covenant with God and that by being circumcised, he was showing his acceptance of that covenant, that agreement with God, and that he was part of God's people and that God had chosen him. And so this was a central symbol within Israelite religion and then within Judean culture in the time that we're dealing with here. So the standard was that in order to show you belong to God's people, you would be circumcised. Enter the idea of people that are non-Judean becoming members of a Judean movement, which we have before Paul shows up and before Jesus shows up. You already have the idea that Gentiles can be attracted to worshiping the Judean God, but there are different levels of attraction among Gentiles. We already saw, by the way, back in those opening lectures, there's also negativity towards Judean culture, wasn't there? When you read Tacitus' account of Judean, the Judean way of life, he's all negative about it, mainly. We also saw a few authors, upper-class authors, who are a bit positive about it. So there were mixed feelings about Judeans in antiquity, just like there were mixed feelings of other ethnic groups that were considered outsiders. So Romans would look down on outsiders from different ethnic groups. Syrians, they might look down on them. Persians, they might look down on them. Judeans, they might look down on them. So there was a mixture of things going on here. Alongside that negativity, even among upper-class authors, there's some positivity about Judeans, even though there's that negativity too. The general populace too can have mixed feelings. Generally, there could be negativity towards Judeans and people disliking these atheists, these people who deny the Greek and Roman gods. So we've already seen that, and don't forget about that. However, alongside that are the cases where some Greeks and Romans are actually attracted to something about Judaism. It's difficult to know always why. There's different levels of attraction, different degrees to which Greeks and Romans might be fond of something about Judeans and Judean culture. The end point of that spectrum of possibilities is joining a Judean group and being circumcised and following the Torah and living a Judean way of life. So that's the type of Gentile we're talking about here in Galatia. A Gentile who has decided to join a Judean group. And we're talking about debates among the, between the opponents and Paul over what is required of those Gentiles who are deciding to worship the Judean God. The point we've been making here is to give you a sense of the rationale of the opponents. The people who have passed through after Paul was there in Galatia and who are saying, how come you Greeks and Romans are not circumcised? They make sense, culturally speaking, within the standard way of looking at things within Judean culture in the first century. They're advocating what makes sense. Paul is the one who's not making sense within the broader framework. So we have to 
then move on soon to figure out, okay, if Paul doesn't make sense within that normal way of thinking about it, what does he think and how can we make sense of it? There must be something in Paul's way of thinking that is in line with Judean ways of thinking. The way in which he's an oddball, though, is in not requiring circumcision for Gentiles to enter into the Jesus movement. That concludes this episode. I hope you'll come again. In the meantime, you can browse my website at philipharland.com. I like early Christianity. The introductory music of this podcast is my own remix of Brian Eno and David Byrne's Help Me Somebody from My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, copyright 1981, None Such Records, with an Uzbek vocal sample by Savara Nazarkhan from her song Kunlarim, copyright 2007, Real World Music. Both are used with permission under Creative Commons type licenses.